This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Torah, the old city of Jerusalem, overlooking the Western Wall. The, the drug of choice of the Jewish people is wine. Wine is the drug of choice, and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's the fruit of the vine, and, and so we should look into this, this drug of choice called wine a little bit. Uh, wine's, wine, uh, it's covenantal, first of all. It's, it's, you know, it's something that you connect to people with. Um, people generally don't drink wine and punch each other's lights out. Something you cannot say about Jack Daniels. <laughs> There's, I mean, when you see a fight at the ball game, you know, like good fist fight, which I used to love to watch because I only really went to ball games to watch people, and uh, and obviously my interest was people not getting along for the most part because I've made it my life's work to help people get along, and and I think I've gotten very far with that, but but watching people go all out. In a in a stadium fist fight, is uh, you know like that's that's just as a kid that was too good to be true, and I used to bring my binoculars just to really get a good good vantage point to watch that. Now I didn't want anyone knocking their lights, knocking each other's lights out, but my study was people not getting along, which meant like watching fathers and sons not connect, or husbands and wives who were distracting themselves at the sporting event rather than connecting to one another, and. I would watch this even as a little kid. I used to watch and watch and watch. All I did was watch adults and see how they got along or didn't get along. And, uh, and so a fight was all, the ultimate, you know, the ultimate for my little laboratory that held 50,000 people. And the, so I, I promise you those people were not drinking wine. Okay? That wasn't wine they were drinking. And, and in Judaism, you actually see that there's a period of time where we're, for, we're actually forbidden wine. And the time we're forbidden wine... Did I make a bracha on this yet? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Bring this guy around with me. So there's, um, there's a time where forbidden wine, and that's during the nine days leading up to the destruction of the temple. And those nine days, you're not allowed wine. But you are allowed Jack Daniels, and you are allowed beer, and you're allowed tequila, and you're allowed vodka, and any other alcoholic beverage is fine, just not wine. You know, which is pretty interesting. They're not allowed wine. What's the big deal? And the answer is, is that wine is covenantal. It connects people. Wine connects people. And since God's connection to earth, in the physical realm at least, meaning the, the, the portal between the infinite and the finite is through the Temple Mount, and specifically the Holy of Holies, where where the Ark stood, and where the the High Priest would do his, you know, service there, with the incense and, and the various other actions he would do there. The that's because that's missing, so we're not allowed to drink wine, which brings hearts together. Except for obviously Shabbos, if there's a Shabbos during that time, we are allowed to drink wine on the Shabbos. So, so that's the idea, is wine is a connector. And it's also, we, at a wedding, the, the thing starts with wine. That's the very first thing, before the contract, is bore priya and, uh, and the, uh, 
and then the bride and the groom have to drink from this wine. It's preferable, by the way, to use white wine at the chuppah because of the wedding dress of the bride. In case there is an accident, you know, she's going to be dancing in that thing all night, so it's better to use white wine at a, at a uh, chuppah. Now, um, anyway, but that's another example of the covenant of wine. And wine is used at circumcisions, and wine is used at, uh, at a pidyon ben and uh, the redemption of a firstborn. And wine is used to signify distinction in time. We always use wine to define time. You have to have wine involved. So, so for example, if you're going from this, if you're distinguishing the six days of doing into Shabbat of being, you have to do that on wine. Now, if you're an alcoholic and your wine's forbidden to you, so you can drink grape juice. And obviously, observant Jews, you know, are less addictive personalities to begin with. So, so if you get yourself clear of, of any addictions, you know, you, you then you know it's possible to to uh, drink grape juice instead of wine at the Shabbos table. And the uh, but for the rest of us, you not, grape juice is not what that. Sages had in mind. They had wine in mind, not grape juice. So if your host hands you a little thimble full of grape juice, Shabbos night, just hand it back okay, and tell him, "Oh, I'd like a stiff glass of wine, please." <laughs> you know. And if he hands you a thimble of wine, also, our sages didn't have in mind a wine shot. You know, you're actually supposed to get the alcohol of the wine into your bloodstream, and how much? Well, the the, what's called a revis or you know a nice it'd be like a whole cheek full of wine at minimum but you know, but really ideally it should be if one has a regular kiddish cup it should be a good you know 150 centiliters uh, good, you know like three quarters of a cup of, uh, of a wine glass just enough to give you a buzz that's also for the guests as well so so the answer is yes because your guests are just as obligated in Jewish law as the host and the host is supposed to be having a cup of wine. Now, are they obligated as a halacha? The host can do grape juice. You know, the, on a pure halachic level, the host can do grape juice, but, but it's probably not in the spirit of the law for the host to be drinking grape juice Shabbos night. And it's not, and it's not exactly the spirit of the law to have the adults around the table also getting grape juice. Now, how much wine should someone drink? That amount. You know, you can have another glass during the meal, but never to get buzzed. You know, there's no reason to get buzzed. And if you do need to get buzzed at a Shabbos table, so you, you probably got to work on something. you got to work something out. You know, and, and certain people, like, they're used to getting buzzed. Like, there's a culture of getting buzzed. You know, people, people like getting buzzed. You know, and there, there's certain people who were raised getting buzzed. I was raised getting buzzed. I remember, I remember, um, I remember going to Shabbos tables. So I'd always bring a bottle of wine in case the host was a ninny, and you know, which happens sometimes. And and I, I was in. I remember I was in Spot at a, the Resnick's house, and, and uh, if the Resnicks are watching this, so blessings and, uh, and lots of love to Chaim. And uh, anyway, so they're they're the only. Litvox and Sva. Okay? I don't know if you know what Litvox are, but you can look it up in a, in a, 
uh, encyclopedia or something. I don't, I don't know where you'd find it, but it means from Lithuania. Svat's known for being Hasidic, except you have this one Litvish couple who are just the sweetest couple in the world. They're like from the 17th century. And they're this sweet little couple there. And with these beautiful kids, each one of them looks like, each one of them literally looks like an angel from heaven. They're just so pure and so sweet and so special. And these, I just, you couldn't not go there, meaning no one goes to Svat to sit at a lit fish table. But you couldn't resist going to the Resnicks because they were, they were just so pure. And uh, anyway, uh, Chaim, by the way, today directs his whole life through his eyes on a computer screen. He has ALS and uh, apparently watches my classes. So it's really incredible I'm mentioning him. And I guess I should send him a message that I mentioned him in class today. And, uh, and of course, Shabbos, he's off because it's Shabbos. And he can't use the computer, so he's not, he's not able to. I mean, you can just go there and sing Shabbos songs and tell him a Devar Torah. And it's a great mitzvah, but he cannot respond in any way because he can't use the computer. Anyway, but they, Mrs. Resnick, Adel Resnick, was, a, was never shy to let you know you did something off. <laughs> Which people in spot generally like just kind of let it slide if you did something stupid. Not Mrs. Resnick. Yeah, Revinson Resnick, she let you know. So I actually did more than one stupid thing in their house. I'll tell you both of them. Uh, one of them was I brought my bottle of wine thinking that maybe these Litvaks were going to have grape juice for Kiddush. And... Lo and behold, there was grape juice for Kiddush. I opened my wine, offered to everybody. No one, no one wanted any wine in that house. And I, I went on to drink the entire bottle. <laughs> so she pulled me over Saturday night and said, can I speak to him? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, I just want to check that maybe you have a problem. I mean, I probably have a lot of problems. Like, what problem do you think I might have? And she went on to tell the story of how I managed to polish off an entire bottle of wine by myself at her Shabbos table. I was so embarrassed. Like, I, ne- I don't think I had more than one glass of wine at a Shabbos table for like 10 years. I was so badly uh, busted. You know, but again, I, my whole upbringing was like, Shabbos night, you get buzzed, you know? And... And, and not only that, but there was a cocktail party at my house every Shabbos night before Kiddush. It was because we didn't. What do did we know from halacha? So, so you can't, everyone gathered. My father had a meal that like you had to be at. Even as kids, you're not allowed to get up. You know, if you had to get up, you better explain where you're going. And like it was strict. You sat at that Shabbos meal, and and I'm kind of thankful for that. And I and I'd love I'd love to be able to implement that today. But kids today are coming out of the system. They're just like. Let me sit on the couch and read for a little while. You know, it's like, what are you going to say? They've been getting pushed around and battered by their, you know, the orthodox education system. You know, it's like they finally got home and now you're going to make them sit at the table. You know, so I'm, I'm a little lenient with them. Um, I did just learn, though, in, in Meseches Brachas, which, please God, uh, everyone's invited to my CM Saturday night. Just kidding. My wife would kill me. Um, but we did learn that you can call out the, the blessing after the meal to people at a distance. So I was making my boys get off the couch to come for the blessing after the meal. But you actually can say, Rabbi Sai, And no matter where they are, 
they can answer from that distance. I imagine they'd have to scream too. Did you know that halacha? You didn't know that? I didn't know that. So it was on the laws of can you leave? If you started eating with a group of men, can you leave? Can you take off? And so, so the answer was you can answer from your distance, you know, wherever you went. Um, what if you can answer on the phone? Probably not. Now, where are we at? Oh, she pulled me over for that one. And no, alcohol is not exactly my drug of choice. And so, no issue there. But she, the other thing, you want to hear something else she pulled me over for? I played a concert in Spots, a beautiful concert Saturday night. And it was like a dreamy experience. Have you been to Spot yet? Yeah. What's your name? Riley. Riley, you been to Spot? Yeah, I'll actually be there after ish. Nice. Sorry, I'm from Australia when I say the word nice. So, that sounds really nice. So you'll be there. Okay, great. So you'll be meeting all my friends there. You tell them you studied with Rabbi Yom Tov in Jerusalem. Anyway, so I played a beautiful concert. I, I'm saying it's beautiful just because if you ever go to a Saturday night acoustic guitar concert in Spot, it just, everything comes together. It's just amazing. And boy, did it come together. Sunday morning, I run into Adel Resnick. Again. I get pulled over like, you know, CHP, California Highway Patrol. And she pulls me over and she's like, I jumped off. I'm like, yeah. And she said, she said, you know, you played a lot of your brother's songs at the Saturday night concert. And I'm like, yeah. And she says, about three different times throughout the two-hour concert, you mentioned him being a great musician. In, but you mentioned it in such a way that who are you to even play? compared to your brother. And she said, that, that is just not appropriate. It is not appropriate to be putting yourself down like that. You know, people came out to your concert and you, you're like unconsciously crushing yourself while being the person that's playing the concert. And once again, she got me. And from then on, I never, ever defaced myself when discussing my brother, who is a virtuoso, but hey, you know, he, he writes them, I play him, you know, he plays them too. But he, that's what I said ever since then, I said, he writes them, I play them. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so back to wine. Wine is covenantal. So let's talk about the wine of, of when you switch times. So especially going into Shabbat and the holidays. So the things like this, every time, has a spectrum of influence that's happening in the zodiac, like literally in the zodiac, and we actually break up time into sun from sunrise to sunset. We actually break it up into twelve parts. In other words, an hour is not an hour in Judaism. Like leave it to the Jews to have an hour not be sixty minutes. It's not sixty minutes. Like for example, right now it's almost spring, so it's going to be closer to sixty minutes. But the summer solstice, it's going to be something like sixty-eight minutes. And the winter solstice is going to be something like 52 minutes. And you understand, because, because the winter, the days are shorter, so we break up the hours from dawn to dark. Minutes are going to be shorter. It's going to be like, you know, a 52-minute minute, because it's a shorter time. Now, you might be saying, who cares? Like, why are you making yourselves crazy? And the answer is, one sec, that the, tw- the names of God, Yud and He and Vav and He, is a combination of four. Now that combination of four has has 
it has different combinations. It's usually the yud and the hay and the vav and the hay. But what happens? The first three, the first three, are all yud 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 yud. But the hay and the vav and the yud, sorry, the hay, the the two hays and the vav, mess around a bit. The second group of three has the starts with the second hay of the God, name of God, and then the yud and the vav and the hay play around in different combinations. By the way, we know this because of the months. So, for example, right now, what, what's going on? We've just finished the first week of Adar. Adar is this month. It's Pisces. And Aleph Dar, the, that means the oneness dwells. Adar is the oneness dwells. And the oneness is dwelling this month in a very special and hidden way. This month's all about the hiddenness and fish, the Pisces, the fish. You can't see them. You can have 100,000 fish right next to you on the shore. You won't see even one fish. And yet they're all right under the surface. All the fish are there. And the, the hiddenness of God is, is always going on. And notice the fish are set up in a yin-yang situation, where the eye of this fish is the eye of that. It's a yin-yang. It's perfect balance. Which in Judaism, the yin-yang is not the yin-yang. It's rather the olive. The olive has the yud above and the yud below with the, with the vav connecting heaven and earth. And it's the... the the olive is the yin-yang, and the Pisces is really just an olive. It's just the olive because it's the olive, the oneness of God that dwells. Olive dar, adar, is this month. And adar is the olive that dwells. And where does it dwell? It dwells covered up by physicality. It's the hidden oneness. I mean, think about it. It makes all the sense in the world. So, like, for example, let's say I played an A chord on a guitar. Boom. Which the root of the chord is an A string. An A string, uh, uh, Riley. How, how much? How much does an A string on a guitar oscillate every second? Four hundred and forty. It's called the A four forty. So four hundred and forty oscillations per second cross the room. Now that sounds complicated because it's four hundred and forty oscillations moving across the room. Except what? Four hundred and forty is four hundred and forty ones, right? So like what I'm speaking right now is obviously massive amounts of mathematics coming out of my mouth, that's all hitting your eardrum, going to your cerebral cortex. Your cerebral cortex is made of neurons. Neurons fire or don't fire. Fire or don't fire. It's binary. So you have this binary receiver of digital code which crosses the room when I speak, which is all vibrational, which is all just crests and troughs. Crests, troughs, frequency. And, and those frequencies are basically digital because they're, you know, frequency. And it's being deciphered by your, your binary cerebral cortex, which is the neurons inside there are deciphering what I'm saying. But it's obviously incredibly complex mathematics. So, but even if you have a number 600 million, it's 600 million ones. And the Aleph, the one, Aleph is the letter one. Aleph is what dwells within all of it. And that's the Aleph Dar, Adar. That's this month. It's the dwelling of God's oneness inside of all things. That's the great secret. The great secret is that oneness is what's always going on. And that's why you'll notice that all 7 billion people on earth who are all going through something, just like I'll tell you, uh, ask you guys, everyone raise your hand if you're going through something. I don't care how little, how big. But you're going through something, you wouldn't mind being on the other side of it. Come on, raise your hand. Who's, who's going through something that you wouldn't mind being on the other side of it? Might be you're going through singlehood and you wouldn't mind being married. It could be... You know, you're going through marriage and you wouldn't mind being single. So, okay, so the answer is everyone, with the exception of one person in this room, 
but I'm sure we can figure out why. Oh, now he's raising his hand. So everybody's going through something. And here we got this planet. I bet you all seven, if all of you can raise your hand, I bet you all seven billion can raise their hand. Yet all seven billion, if you ask them 10 years later, which is, that's giving time to extremely slow spiritual people. Meaning a fast spiritual person gets why they're going through it quickly. You understand, if, you're, if you have a high spiritual IQ, you figure it out pretty quickly what you're going through. Whereas someone of low spiritual IQ kind of has to see how it, how they had to like adjust and build themselves up to get over it, and then like 10 years later they realize, oh my gosh, now I get why that happened. Now I see where it, how it, it built me in the way it did. But here's the thing, is that you know, you get, of the 7 billion people, you got quite, quite a few that doubt God's existence, yet all, 10, all 7 billion, 10 years later, will sh- tell you not only why it happened to them, whatever they were going through today, in 2020, not only they'll tell you why it happened to them, but they'll tell you they wouldn't even trade it if they had to trade what they got out of it. You understand? Not only would they know what it was, they wouldn't even trade it. They'd be like, yeah, it was hell. And, and you know what? It's over now, and, and what I got, I got, and it's been good tools for me, and, and I'm, I'm better for it as a result. Good luck pulling that off. You know, good luck with that, Darwin. You know, it's like, that just not, that shouldn't work. You know, that just shouldn't work. You know, random mutation, you know, survival of the fittest doesn't, doesn't allow for, for everyone to come full circle with their suffering. This is one of the great proofs of God. And he's the Aleph. He's the one that dwells on you and the many. He's the one that dwells. He's the Aleph Gar. And that's this month. So this month has combinations of letters. And the letter Hey is the first week because we're, we're in the last month. This is the 12th month of the year. And I know that sounds confusing, Riley, because Rosh Hashanah is supposed to be the first. It's not. It's the seventh month. Leave it to the Jews to have minutes that aren't a minute long and to have years that start now. Because <laughs> Rosh Hashanah is the seventh month of the year. Don't ask. I mean, it's just like, we can't complicate things enough. Now, now the, but that makes this the 12th month, which obviously is going to start with a hey, because the first three months started with the Second three months started with a hey. Third three months starts with a hey. Sorry, with a vav. And the last three months is going to start with a hey. And not only does it start with the last hey, but this week now, because we just started the second week of Adar, is now the second hay. So it's two hays. And then Purim night, full moon night. Purim night. Everything's full moons now. Two Bishwat, full moon. Purim, month later, full moon. Pesach, full moon. Is, and, and then, so we now hit on that night the Purim, which is the revelation of the hill. Where, meaning, you go into Aleph, Dar, Adar, you go into the month of Adar, everything's hidden. And very interesting how the whole world's now going through this virus scare where it's all unknowns. Well, that's exactly what's going on in Shushan Habira, in the, the capital of Babylon, of Persia, with Shushan, was, there was a genocide. And no one knew what was going to happen. What are you supposed to do about a genocide? You know, like, what do you do when you're not in command? And there's going to be a genocide. And like, everyone was freaking out. Just like today, everyone's freaking out. They don't know what's going to be. And so, 
<clears throat> and so the first two weeks are hay and hay, but comes full moon next next week, which will be Tuesday night. It's full moon. Guess what letter it is? It's the yud. And this month, the combination is going to hit the yud. What's the yud? Clarity. Revelation. What's the yud? Yud. Yud is thoughts. Think about the letter yud. It just floats up there. It doesn't even touch the earth. It doesn't even hit the baseline. The yud is purely spiritual by nature. It's just like, I get it. You know, it's, it's wisdom. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's just clarity. And so we're going to move into this full-on clarity. Well, what's the clarity? And how do we celebrate the clarity? And the answer is by drinking a truckload of wine. Okay. Shouldn't the third week be above? Not this week. Not this month. Isn't, isn't that was only the first. That's going to be Nissan. That's going to be starting. The next new moon will be the Yod and the Hay and the Vav and the Hay. And then it's going to be the Yod and the this and the that and the that. These, they're com- they are intercalculating. Now, oh, by the way, back to the minutes. Is Why are we so concerned about minutes? And the answer is, is because every hour... That same shift of the letters of God's name of the months, think about 12 months, 12 hours of the day, is shifting. And if you're like super cabalistic, expelidocious, you, you care, you care about the shift of the hour. Because the hours spell out different stuff. You understand, every hour has got its energy. And Kabbalists actually pause at the end of the hour, you're just going to adjust and get back into the flow of things for the new hour and and things are flowing that way and because it's all about this big flow and right now we're in the last month of the year which has its own special flow which is the hiddenness this flows hidden and then it flows revealed and what gets revealed well very interestingly you have to drink everyone has to drink a bunch of wine okay and that's not optional unless of course you spoke to your rabbi and explained your addiction to alcohol and it's just not going to be good for you to be drinking alcohol on pork. But if you have no addictions like that and you are permitted wine, so then you're supposed to drink a whole bunch of it. And when I say a whole bunch, our rabbis teach us that you have to drink so much wine that you can't even distinguish... Hey, who wrote on this board? You can't even distinguish... You can't even distinguish the the name in Hebrew of cursed the villain whose name is Haman. Cursed is Haman, which we grew up calling him Haman. You know, as you can like, you know, when a friend of yours is asking you to, if you want to go get high. Usually he says, "Hey man, if you want to go get high?" And then you're supposed to say. No. No, I'll actually just stay right in reality the way God makes it. I don't need to get high right now. I'm not saying they're in a place of getting high. There's, as King Solomon says, there's a time for everything. As Genesis says, that God gave us each of the vegetations for our use. And so there's a time and a place for everything. But not with Hayman, you know, because that Hayman guy shows up daily. Okay? Sometimes you are your own Hayman. You know? You know, watch out, that's a really dangerous for your own hey, man. And, and by the way, you want to know, just to mention why people smoke cannabis so regularly? You want to know why? Because if you, when, when you're on cannabis, the whole world is perfect. 
everything's great. It's like everything's great, everything's more meaningful, everything's enhanced. It's really wonderful. Except for tomorrow. Tomorrow you have what's called postpartum depression because everything's not that way. Unless, of course, you have your life so put together, but anyone here want to raise their hand on being that one person? <laughs> you know, our lives aren't that put together. And so, all of a sudden, what was perfect is not perfect. And the differential between perfect and not perfect when someone was using cannabis the day before is a much bigger differential than the regular life where it's not perfect and I'm working on it and I'm doing my best to get my life in order. And today maybe it's more in order or maybe today's a little more chaotic. And, you know, it's, I'm breathing. Breathing through it and doing my best not to have anxiety. And then, uh, then in the end, though... What? The virus? Oh, because it's Purim. You can close the door. So, uh, there's no classes next week. <laughs> this is turning into my Purim class. Oh my gosh. So, by the way, the, for Yiddish speakers, the word virus, like, is the word... In, see, we say sinning in Hebrew means is a virus, a virus. But if you're Hasidic, it's a virus, <laughs> a virus, literally. Okay, listen up, listen up. I can't lose my couple back there. You guys, you're my most important students right now. Everyone's very important, but you, but some of you are extra animated, and I've been watching the two of you have fun. So, <laughs> so you're like keeping me going, you know. But you, you need to handle something logistically. You good? Okay. It's really you know, a cute couple back there. Yeah, right. Your camera says movie recording has been stopped automatically. My recording stopped? Yeah, where's Yosef? Ah, that's all right. It's oh, just the, the, this one? Yeah. Yeah, the one on the right seems to be gone. Oh, yeah. That's our live feed, nice. which we... This is a backup. Okay. okay, thank you. That's important to know, though. Yeah, so... Cursed is Haman, yeah? Oh, so what I was going to say is, why do people smoke cannabis every day? Why do they smoke every day? So tomorrow never comes. Yeah, tomorrow never hits. Tomorrow never hits. And so either two things, one of two things happens. Either your life just unravels because if you're always pretending, if you refuse to look where things are not right, you know, where things are not right tends to hemorrhage. You know, like like when you want to when you want to ignore things, that's generally where things go wrong, and uh, that's one. And two is some of those guys simplis- simplify their lives such that it, they never like it can't hemorrhage too bad. Like for example, playing some weird violent video game thirty five hours a day. Rabbit. Yeah. What about studying Torah every day? Is not a way to simplify your life and have responsibilities yeah it's very interesting that the ter- studying Torah every day is a good way to like ignore your responsibilities and but it, here's a weird thing you want to hear something really strange our rabbis tell us a total contradiction I'm not going to deal with this right now but one that says 
any work, sorry, any Torah study that didn't come with also working for a living will lead to sin. It has another saying in the same exact book, it's Pirkeados, that says the ethics of our fathers, where it says, anyone who throws off the yoke of Torah, the yoke of their livelihood will land on them like, but with a, like an anvil. While anyone who takes on the yoke of Torah study, like they take on the yoke of learning Torah, the yoke of one's livelihood, all the detailed stuff that tends to unravel quickly, will actually go away from them. And I've watched it happen. I saw a guy study here for 10 years straight. 10 years straight, full-time study. And, and then he once, he came up to me at some point and said to me, I saw, he said, he said, you know what, I just want to say goodbye because I'm not going to be learning here every day anymore. I said, okay, what are you doing? He says, it's time to work. Time to go out and work. So he goes out to work. Ran into him six months later, looking sad. I said, you all right? What's the matter? He says, um, we can't afford to be in Israel anymore. And I was like, what? Hey, you just studied full time for 10 years straight. You were making nothing. Living purely off LSD. You know, which stands for large siata deshmaya, which means, meaning you've been living off pure divine assistance because the yoke of this world was off of you while you studied. You go out because you decided, you know what, it's time to go work. You go work and suddenly you can't afford to be here. Like you're supposed to have made more money. It should be easier to be here. You understand how weird that is? But I've noticed it also in my own life. Notice in my own life, notice in many people's lives, that someone who really takes on the yoke of Torah and decides to really harness his mind and heart and body to the study of it, the world kind of leaves him alone. And things don't unravel so much. Whereas um, when someone throws it off, the... Uh, honor being responsible, ultimately. I mean, they're only trying to be responsible, but... Boy, does the does the material world come at you with a vengeance, and uh, and they can find themselves quickly in trouble. So it's an interesting thing. I, you know, the, your solution is probably just don't get involved with it in the first place. But because if you didn't put it on, you never threw it off. But on the other hand, we're all obligated to study Torah. You know, if you got free time, you should be studying it. It's not free. Time's never free. Free time means time to, to increase in Torah study. Okay, back to us. So if you look at the words, cursed Haman, Haman is the, uh, you know, he's the arch evil enemy. He's, he's Hitler, basically. And if you do the math, our sages say that you're supposed to be so drunk that you can't tell the difference between cursed as Haman and Blessed, which is Hebrew, Baruch, which means blessed, is mortified. Okay? Cursed is Haman. Blessed is Mordechai. You got that? This is Mordechai. So how much wine do we drink on the revelation of the hidden. By the way, what book do we read on that day? What's the book we read? The scroll of 
Esther. Esther, how do you say it in Hebrew? Megillah. Megillah, that's the revelation, Megillah. It's to reveal. What's Esther mean? Hidden. Revelation of the hidden. What book do we read? The Revelation of the Hidden. What's hidden? The name of God. It's the only book that doesn't have God's name in it. So you're, it's on the yud of the month, of this covered up month, with the fish where it's all one, who are under the sea, you can't even see them. Everything's one. But things can get dark because we're dealing with the last hay of God's name where you don't get such clarity. And the second hay of God, the first hay of God's name, which is also, if you know anything about that one, it's not so simple either. This, the yud and then the hay, the, that first hay, not exactly the, the easiest letter of God's name. But then you hit the full moon and it's the yud and it's the revelation. And we're told that we have to drink at the festive meal in the daytime, not at night, although Jerusalem will have the biggest party. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of people. I wonder what's going to be with the virus mm-hmm. and the it's party. Not any parties that are over 5,000 people. Over 5,000. Yeah, this is hundreds of thousands of people. So they're not going to allow them out there? The horses ready. What? The horses are ready. Horses. I heard if you have the virus and you don't self-quarantine, you can get fined like 5,000 shekels. How would someone know? I have no clue. <laughs> no one even discusses the fact that no one knows how you know if you have it. You know, they say like it takes two weeks to figure it out. Oh yeah, well, okay, two weeks is up. What do I do, breathe onto my phone on an app? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, No one's talked about how you actually test for it. I mean, has anyone heard of a testing center? Yeah, for it? I mean, I spoke to one doctor. He says, we don't have any tests. You know, there is a testing center? At the airport. Anyone that lands needs to... Well, I'm going to go to the airport? <laughs> they, they oh, I'm going to go to the airport to test with all the people. What? Not people in anymore. Um, I think they, they do check for it. I was interviewing with someone who was at a hospital. So they check the for hospitals it. are checking for it? Yeah, they know how. So yeah, they know how? Okay. Okay, here we go. So, you have to drink so much wine, say our sages, that you cannot tell the difference between blessed is Mordechai and cursed is Haman. Now, to not know the difference between the hero and the villain is really drunk. You understand? That's like not knowing the difference between like, turning the light off in the room and turning it back on. And like people are like, uh, yeah, I didn't notice nothing. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like the hero and the villain. That's a lot of wine. That's a lot of wine to not know the difference between the hero and the villain. I mean, that's that means you are smashed out. Yeah, you're beyond smashed. Yeah. So in order to be a time that mitzvah, how can you have the consciousness to know that you don't know the difference? Uh, that's a great question. That's a great question. No, but then, then, that, then that person is in your time. And by the way, you can't be unconscious. I mean, you can be unconscious. Right, you can, right. You can but, be like but you, meaning if you get so smashed that you throw up and pass out, which happens to a lot of people, because, you know, everyone's trying to hit the... Sweet spot. Yeah. And, and it's easy to miss under the influence. Right. You know, the sweet, sweet spots, it's pretty slippery. And uh, anyway, but, but once you're passed out drunk... I mean, you also fulfill it, but you're not really there to be asking whether you know the difference between 
Muhammad and Mordechai. So it, it's a whole questionable thing. But I guess you have to have someone, a designator, a designated tester <laughs> who walks around testing people about the two in the story. It's very cool in the story, by the way, because you see that Mordechai, who's a ridiculously bad diplomat. I mean, he's just the worst diplomat ever. You know, it'd be like, it'd be like, it'd be like, uh, I don't even know how to say this nicely. It'd be like Netanyahu. You know, shh. <laughs> it'd be like Netanyahu, like, basically burning the American flag or something. You know, it's like, you understand, like burning the British. He, he takes every allied country that's connected to us and just burns all their flags and the whole world's like looking at him incredulously when he says to them, listen, we're from the tribe of Jacob. You're from the tribe of Asa. We don't get along. It's over. You know, that's Mordechai in Shushan Abira. Why? Because Hitler's risen to power and all he's asking is just... Everyone should bow down when they walk by. If I'm walking by, they should bow down. If they're walking by, they should bow down. Just go like this. You know, girls, give a curtsy. You know, like, just recognize me. And Mordecai is just like, he couldn't have, like, he normally stood, I think, at about, like, six foot two. I think he grew, grew an inch. You know, he's just like, it's like little kids trying to be tall enough for the ride, you know, at Magic Mountain or Six Flags. Or like, you know, he's like, He's not gonna, you know, if his shoelace is untied, he's not tying it now. You know, he's gonna stay with his shoes untied just to make sure that Haman knows that he's not getting respected. Well, who was Mordechai? Mordechai is the chief rabbi. Now, imagine being Haman. Haman, who's, you know, a total raving lunatic megalomaniac, who's like at any moment could do anything against the Jews. He's wearing the signet ring of the king. The king's an idiot, so he's basically given over all the power to this guy. The guy's directly from the seed of Amalek, who always rises up to, to destroy us when the time of redemption is imminent. Well, it's the time of redemption because it's the 70th year on a 70-year exile, which means someone like this should have been predictably showing up. And he did show up. And all you have to do is go like this, man. Like, yo, you know, we'll celebrate the 4th of July here in Israel. You know, we'll do some fireworks in Tel Aviv. And you know what? We'll, we'll run the, uh, the uh, what was that music thing that, that music thing that that girl won because she did a Me Too song last year. Eurovision. Eurovision. And we'll host Eurovision here and, and we're we're your best friends, you know. We Israel loves the Allied Nations, you know. We're 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 happy to drink your hair heroin. Drink your <laughs> we're happy to drink your your oil all day, you know, and, and, and take our little gifts. Well, I said heroin because I called I called those Western nations, I call them the Israel's drug dealer when it comes to money Amen. yeah so you're supposed to bend over if you're the leader of the Jews Mordechai is like Mordechai's not playing any games with these people and what happens Haman doesn't get bowed down to and he just like immediately you know decrees a genocide an irrevocable one because he stamps it with the signal of the ring King ring and it's irrevocable. Once the signet's in the in the stamp, meaning in the wax, and it says that every Jew is you know sentenced to death, every man, woman, and child, you can't revoke that kind of thing. 
even in the end, when the whole like thing worked out well for us, it was only that the Jews could defend themselves. It didn't say that the the genocide was over. No, the genocide was on. It's just that the Jews now had a new thing that Mordechai now wearing the ring because Haman got hung, and now Mordechai's wearing the ring. Esther's the queen, and she's you know that the Jews were allowed to defend themselves against this, meaning they could take up arms and, and prevent the slaughter. And so, all of this, who caused the problem? Mordechai! So, he makes the problem, then there's a genocide, and what happens because of the genocide? The, to- the Torah tells us earlier on that the Jews were very disunified. I mean, don't forget, we just had the destruction of the first temple. Jews were not getting along so well. There's a lot of disunity. Now, when there's disunity, we even have one of our prophets says at one point that I'd rather not have the Jews' offerings. I mean, I'd rather the Jews get along than have the offerings. Because the offerings without the Jews getting along mean nothing to me. Can you imagine? Like, Jewish, Jerusalem's running, you know, the, the temple, the ark, you know, the, the sacrifices. Like, everything's running well. Except the Jews aren't getting along, says God. I'd rather not have that service and just see my children get along with each other. So the, the, the Megillah makes it real clear the Jews are not getting along. They are disunified. So what happens? He makes a decree. And what do the Jews do? Answer? <laughs> Too late. <laughs> that was a real short uh, time period that you got to answer that one. So the answer is they unified. All three-day fast. They did, in prayer, they did this full unity. They didn't eat matzah that year. It was Passover. They skipped the matzah. They skipped the Seder. And they fasted for three days straight in total unity in prayer. Which is like, who's the villain? This guy's the worst diplomat ever. We get a genocide out of him. This guy's got, everyone's singing Am Yisrael High. So, you understand? So it's not so clear. Anyway, but that's how much you got to drink. And here's the cool thing. Check this out. Look at the difference in the letters. Very different letters. Baruch is 2 plus 200 plus 6 plus 200 plus 40 plus 200. It's big numbers. Plus 4 plus 20 plus 10. Okay? What does that equal? Is it like a cup 20? Yeah, I put 20. No, I'm borrowed. Oh my gosh. I cut off the bow. <laughs> Did you see me do that? I just came because it was, it was going all the way down to here, so I like went like that, but I went too low. Okay? And then uh, and then we got the word arur. Yeah? So Aleph is one. Oh, what does that equal, by the way? 502. Excellent. I'm not that good at math. I just remembered it from the last class. <laughs> Someone gave this over? Uh, some, something similar. I don't know if it's the exact one. Here. One plus 200 plus 6 plus 200 plus 5 plus 40 plus 50 equals 502. So in other words, our sages are telling us that you got to drink so much that they've equaled out. That you can't even tell the difference between them because there is no difference. 
somehow on some because again Aleph Dar means the hidden oneness so even though you'd rather have things be you know fixed already all of us who raised our hand that we'd rather be on the other side of some of the issues we're dealing with there it's all equal in the end it's all equal and that's one of the meditations one of the biggest meditations in Judaism it's a mantra is we say Shavishi and Hashem Benegdi Sumit Shavishi you know what the word Shave means? Equal. It's the equal sign. Shavisi means, right? It's the equal sign. Shavisi Hashem. Shavisi is God. Equal to me is God. Lenegdi, across from me, tamid at all times. And what's that supposed to mean? The answer is whatever you're going through, it's all equal. It all, like the year, your life zeroes out like a good encounter a good accountant dealing with the numbers of a big business where it's very complicated, lots of ledgers and numbers and mathematics, but it all zeroes out at the end of the year because they got to zero things out and then explain to the government and taxes and everything, and it all zeroes out. So, Shavisi Hashem, the Negdi Summit, means that it's all equaled out, and the spiritual person gets it quickly. He equals it out in real time. Now, can you imagine, can you, everyone in this room, can you imagine being able to get to the point where in real time you're able to equal it all out while you're going through it. While you're going through it. You know, I poked myself with a sharp knife in uh, on Shabbos two weeks ago in Williamsburg. Didn't really want anyone to notice. It's custom in Hasidic homes to give the guest his own two challahs and cutting board. They give him this crazy sharp knife and with a super pointed tip and it just perfectly poked. I can still see the hole where it poked me. Now I'm like bleeding to death at their Shabbos day on, you know. And it was just a little poke, but it went deep. And and now, you know, I wrap my finger and finish cutting my challah, try not to get any blood on the challah because you're not allowed to eat blood. Our own blood you're allowed, but not once it leaves your mouth. Meaning if you, if you, you're not allowed to like suck on a cut or, or if you, but if your gums are bleeding, you're, that's not forbidden, just if it leaves the mouth. It's all a prohibition of eating blood, but there's a rabbinic prohibition of eating human blood uh, just because it looks like you're eating blood, which is forbidden when it comes to animals and chickens and stuff. Now, um, we're going to finish with this. Okay, We're basically done, but, the, but we got one last thing, and that is that, what the hell? <laughs> what? Like, Why? What's, why do we have to drink so much wine? It's not for this, that's for sure. This is just the breathalyzer. This is just letting you know how much. It's only talking about amounts here. It's, it's hinting at something. Is it specifically wine on Yeah, you're really supposed to have wine because wine... We have a famous saying in Hebrew that, that when the wine goes in... When the wine goes in, the secrets come out. That's a famous saying. When the wine goes in, the secrets come out. What's the wine? The wine is made of two yuds, which is the first letter of God's name, and the way you pronounce it is Ado, and then Noi, which ends with a yud. And the Nun represents the 50 gates of, of uh, perception. By the way, you know what the 50th gate is? It's the first of the next one. <laughs> I'm not kidding though. <laughs> <laughs>
the there, there's 50 gates of perception. And the 50th gate is the first gate of the next group of 50. And How many groups are there? It just keeps going. It's infinite. It never stops. <laughs> so, so, that, so the first letter of God and the last letter of God is in the 50 gates of perception. And then, and the word so, this is wine, which is 10 plus 10 plus 50, is 70. Okay, which is also related to the name of God. What name of God is 70? Is it Elohim 70? Oh, that's, no, that's 100, right? No, with a hay. Yeah. Aleph, Lamed is 31. Hay is 5, that's 36. And then Ayud is 46. No. And then a Mem is 86. I forget what name of that is. Is it 70? Shakai? No. No, that's, that's wavering. Anyway, the word secret, this is the word secret, or the hidden, is 60 plus 6 plus 4. So both of them equaling 70. So when the wine goes in, the secrets come out, and it's the secret. What's the secret? And that's how we'll finish. I just want to mention one more thing. Is some people get, you asked, is it specifically wine? So you're allowed to supplement with um, harder alcohol on Purim. You're allowed to supplement because um, wine is quite filling. It's only about 12 to 14% alcohol. And so you're also having a festive meal. It can get a little hard to get to the point without getting yourself sick from just the volume of liquid inside your stomach while eating a festive meal. You know, it's a, it's a lot of that's a lot of wine. You know, I'm figuring how many bottles, Riley? How many bottles would it take you to get that schnacker? Two and a half, three. Okay, two and a half, three. That's a lot of wine. That's that's a wine seven hundred fifty milliliters times three is you know you got liters of wine inside of you. And, and you're just, the chances of you getting sick over just that are high. So some believe that it's a good idea to drink a couple shots uh, just to, like, get your buzz going. A little bit of strong fuel. Yeah, but you got to be careful because now you're mixing alcohols and stuff. But a couple shots. Can't you fulfill that by taking a nap also? So the infirm are allowed to nap. Um, people who are elderly are allowed to nap. And, and since you're bringing that up, I just want to mention something. Uh, what's your name? Yona. Yona said something interesting that, that, that like elderly people are allowed to nap on the, on the holiday if, if, you know, and just bypass this whole issue. How do you fulfill a mitzvah when you're fast asleep? And the answer is, is that there's two commandments in the Torah that are, that take place when you're unconscious. One is the joy of Sukkot happens when you sleep in the Sukkot. You have to be asleep in there. Like, you'll never quite understand sukkahs if you sleep inside the sukkah. And that's why, like, in Jerusalem, you know, where everything's, like, more intense. So the women sleep in the sukkah in Jerusalem, whereas outside of Jerusalem, women are generally like, I'm not sleeping out there. Who says a cat's not going to come into the sukkah? And they, uh, they, whereas in Jerusalem, the women sleep in the sukkah. And the other is, um, the other is Purim happens when you lose consciousness. So people who cannot drink alcohol must, during that day, take a nap. Now, good luck taking a nap while every single apartment in your entire building has music blasting. 
with people like dancing on their tables and jumping off and swinging off balconies and the whole city's gone literally ape and like now you're gonna go take a nap good luck but 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 that is a way it's the weirdest thing but you can actually fulfill the mitzvah by getting some sleep because you have to be unconscious to get there now by the way for the alcohol you don't have to get unconscious you don't have to pass out you just have to be smashed and if you're smashed then what's that well, they, that's the issue, is people want to supplement with cannabis or with psychedelics and stuff like that. Um, it's a problem a little bit because they tend to lend more clarity than lack of clarity. Psychedelics are engendered by great clarity. And so, and so you're, not, you're going the wrong direction here. You know? You're supposed to be going towards blurring, not clarity. You understand? So it's a bit of an issue. You're blurring until clarity, right? What? But you're blurring it until it's clear. Yeah, but it's, it might be fine. I don't know. I mean, it could be psychedelics are the way to go. I mean, one thing I know is that the, the, the microdosing of them, you know, is it's not intoxicating, but it might lend itself towards helping someone with the stamina required for the holiday. Because the holiday is demanding, man. Because you, a lot of people are dummies and partying the night before, too. So it's like they party the night before when the party's really during the day. So now, so now they woke up a little hungover, and now, and now they're going into this crazy party where you have now is the mitzvah. So maybe bite the bear the bitch tonight. Bite the bite the bear the bitch. Never heard that expression. The terror of the dark. Bite the bear that bit you. Bite the bear that bit you. Mate, you gotta say mate at the end. Yeah, I just heard the word bitch in there. That didn't sound politically <laughs> correct. You know. Bite the bear that bit you. Hey. <laughs> anyway, so wine's really the the, the best thing. Um, I imagine if someone's super drunk, cannabis isn't offering a lot of clarity at that point. So it may actually spin them up, like rev them up even higher in their drunkenness. Yeah, yeah the likelihood of throwing out is much higher. I've noticed that the the person who was like on the edge and then does can't like he's on the edge like he's barely keeping himself from spinning out and he's just holding on for dear life at the party and then like here comes the vapor the vapor guy walks in amen. you know you always gotta watch out for Mr. Vape you know amen. the vapor guy comes yeah hey man hey man comes in with a vape pipe you know and now you see people vaping at your perm table that guy who was holding on is gonna be tossing his cookies you understand he's gonna He's going to be, instead of praying to the real God, he's going to be praying to the porcelain God, you know, on his knees in front of the toilet. You know. So, anyway, I think we more or less nailed this, and the idea is just to come to the revelation that it's all from God. Now, I just want to mention one thing about women. Um, I've met a lot of women who don't like porn very much. I'm not talking about the single variety. I'm talking about the, the wives with dealing with costume parties that they got to get each kid set up and it's like a big competition, you know, of like having their kids be properly decked out in these like way over the top costumes. That's hard. hard. There's not always a lot of money around. So that's hard too because it's a lot of money going out over that. Um, Then they're expected to create this festive meal, you know, which can also be, you know, hard and a little tiring and, and, uh, yeah, they create, so they created the whole festive meal. Um, while nursing or pregnant, 
and keeping track of a bunch of little ones at the same time. And in comes <laughs> a full-on drunken party where her husband, who is usually some form of stability in her life, has now turned into a blithering idiot. <laughs> and, you know, just... There's nothing holding things up now. It's like there's nothing... Nothing stable is happening in her life after two weeks of nothing stable, because I don't know if you all noticed, but once you walk into Adar, you're walking into, like, destabilization. You know, raise your hand if you've noticed things are destabilized in the last two weeks. Yeah, it's a highly destabilizing period when you get into the Adar month, the, the oneness that dwells underneath it all, the chaos. Why? Because he's, he's the order of the chaos, and he's just hides hides in such a way that everything looks extra chaotic. And it's a pretty scary time of year. And I've, I can tell you, like, literally, I mean, not that I remember, but, but in my 25 years of marriage, since I've, like, made my own home, every major thing that we've ever dealt with that was, you know, heavy on us, like, hard and difficult and suffering big time and even sometimes really bad, every single one of those hit on other. And those all hit during this month. Every single time. Other is the month. Where it's like, hold on for the ride, man, because God plays hardball in order. And it also makes sense a little bit that it's the twelfth month, because you know you kind of got to go through everything in this month, you know, because it could be he was like, I don't know, like it could be you're so buttoned up all the time that God didn't even have a chance to throw a curveball. So the curveballs hitting in order, you know, that's when you're going to get your curveballs, because most of us want some sense of order in our lives. So you're, some of us are pretty darn good at creating that order. Comes along Adar and God just laughs and just will turn you upside down. And just so many crazy things happen in Adar. Adar is like, yeah, I just hope, when I get to Adar, I just take in a deep breath and I let it out at the end of Adar. And, um, however, it's really only the first two weeks because comes the Yud, the energy of the month changes, and now everything shifts to joy and heading towards Passover and the spring and clarity. The you and the hay and the Vovin and hay are in their proper order, you know, at the beginning of, of Nissan, and everything kind of gets clear. And it's just flour and water, you know, matzah, it's like clarity. It's like no, no additives. You know, it's just simplicity and purity. And, and so we're going to that, but we first got to kind of pay our dues from the year. And, and by the way, other, the, so back to the women is... A lot of women kind of dread porn. A lot of women, married women with big families, they dread porn. And so I, I just want to say to all those women who dread Purim is to let go in, into Purim. Just let go into it. Surrender. Put up the white flag. Yeah, it's going to be nuts. It's going to be crazy. Do your best to keep an eye on your kids. You know, but God's really taking care of them and and just like celebrate it, you know, just celebrate it but like, by surrendering to it. You know, we got to surrender to the chaos. I mean, there's chaos that we don't surrender to, which all year long we're basically doing our best to order chaotic things. But then there's a chaos that, that trying to fight it will only create more anxiety. It's a chaos that you can't fix, and that's porn. Porn is the chaos that you can't do much about. The place, and what you see, you guys who are in Jerusalem, you just, any of you first time here for Purim? I mean, you just, there's nothing I can say that will 
do justice to what's going to happen in this city. You just can't believe it. The cops, you know what the cops do? The cops just, like, go home. <laughs> There's nothing they can do about anything. They just, they're off duty. They're, off, they're just there for emergency, you know, like, okay, an emergency, uh, but there's no more law and order. There's no more rules. There's no more, like, I mean, just people, I, I walked out of a party that, I walked out of a party where we were, we, people wind up, you never wind up where you started your party, so everyone should have that in mind when they wash for the bread, and you should be in Jerusalem, by the way, for that, if you can, but uh, people, when you wash for your bread meal, you never know where you're going to make your blessing later. So just have in mind when you wash, I don't know where I'll be. So we walk out of this crazy party. We're, I think we're escaping the party, actually. Because I think something turned ugly there, and things like that happen on the phone. Like, I think someone was after one of my students. And so we all just kind of went running out of the party. All, each one of us had our own bottle of wine open. You know, where everyone's like walking with their own bottle of wine. We come out of the party, but we were kind of being chased out of the party. So we get to the street. When we get to the street, two of my students are ahead of me. I'm next. What's going on? A guy with his kid sitting on the dashboard is driving with his pedal to the metal straight at my two students. I'm, you know, you want to check out, you're always looking at the whites of eyes. When you, you know, our, our, our emergency reflex is to look at whites of eyes, see if the guy notices. Guess where the whites of his eyes are? Why? His eyes, the driver's eyes, are up in his head. He's got a bottle of wine upside down in his mouth, drinking. Upside down, his eyes are white. One hand on the steering wheel, one hand with a bottle upside down. My students are right in front of the car. He's doing like 40. They just barely can get their feet up onto his hood, onto his windshield, and airborne. And they both land on their feet with their bottles <laughs> in hand. Not a drop of wine spill. And the guy just flies right through an intersection <clears throat> on a red light. Flies right through an intersection on a red light. And just kept going. Like, nothing even happened. Nothing, even, nothing happened to my students. Nothing happened to the guy. Kid on the dashboard. And the insane things. There was, there was, there was a funeral procession. <laughs> It was a funeral procession, middle of the holiday on Shmuel Navi, right by your house. Shmuel Navi. It was a ter- it was a tragedy. One of the rabbis of Israel died on his way up his stairs, drunk as a skunk, dies on the way to his apartment. And why is he kicking the stairs anyway? An old man, like, take the elevator. <laughs> but he's smashed drunk. And he didn't make it. So like, and so they found him and they're like, oh man, word gets out all over a Shmuel Navi area that whatever the Rob's name was that died, I forget the name. Rob, I'm not from that community, and, but a big rabbi of their community. And, and so what do they do? Everyone's smashed drunk. They, they took a cot, put him on a cot, got him down the stairs, and just started a procession <laughs> down the street with the dead rabbi laying on the bed with a tallis over him. You know, you put a tallis over him, and they're bringing him to, uh, to the corner over there of uh, Barilon. What's the name of that cemetery? Uh, what? San Hedria. They bring him to the funeral home to like hand him over to the you know to the the people in charge of dead bodies and and so after a while people are like you know you gotta respect the dead so it's just a giant procession and it's like after a while there were like forty people it was over by it was closer to Mayasharim so by the time it got near 
by line, it was like it was like hundreds of people were like, "Why well, people are crying? They don't know what it is." <laughs> crying, you know, everyone's like put their arms around each other. And they were holding each other up, and finally, people just start screaming, screaming, screaming. What happens? He woke up. <laughs> he woke up, and he's going like this with the tallest over his head. He's sitting up on the bed. He gets the tallest off his head. And he sees he's in the middle of his own funeral. <laughs> funeral procession. I have a picture of the Kabbalist of the old city. Baruch Hashem's still alive. He should live out in May of this but he's already in his 90s. I had a picture, maybe he's 100 already, of Scheinberger. Baruch Hashem, he's probably 100 right now. I don't know. Probably about 100. He's still, he's probably at the Kotel right now. He's the Kabbalist of the old city. He has communities all over Israel, the or at Safon by Tzfat, the, the hidden light, it's called. Worth 90 pairs of scissors, right? No, that's Rav Scheinberger. Okay, Scheinberger. This is Rav Scheinberger. <laughs> Ra- vice versa. This is Rav Scheinberger. That's Rav Scheinberger. Yeah, there was a rabbi who wore like, like 90 pairs of scissors. He passed away. But uh, can you imagine 90 pairs of scissors? You're, fo- you're now an NFL player, you know. Uh, my, my Chavrusa, my learning partner, went to ask him a question. and his, He went in, his wife's like, Yes, and he's like, I'd like to ask the rabbi. And she said, he's on the balcony. He goes out of the balcony, he comes back in. He says, he's not on the balcony. And she says, did you notice a pile of laundry there? He says, yeah. And she says, that's my husband. <laughs> so he goes back on the balcony, and he sees the pile of laundry, and there's a little head, a little head of an old man, you know, inside the pile of laundry. You know, so spooky. I've seen it, I saw him many times. His memory, his memory should be for a blessing. Anyway, Ruff Scheinberger, I was at Ruff Scheinberger's house. It was literally a half hour before Shabbos. I mean, the bell's already rung. It's after candlelight. We're still partying hard. It's Friday afternoon. We're partying hard. And I have a picture of the rabbi, and I haven't, I've lost it, but I know it exists somewhere in my house. Where I took a picture of the rabbi. He's, he, at this point, he's in his mid-70s. He's got a shot glass, a silver, you know, a beautiful silver shot glass, you know, a little silver shot. He's got a shot glass in one eye, meaning, you, you know, you can, like, put a cup in your eye. He's got a shot glass in one eye. His other eye's out to heaven. <laughs> he's airborne. And when you look down below, he's, you know, he's, like, one foot's up like this. The other foot's, like, pointing down. And guess what's under that foot? Not the floor. A chair. He's fully airborne in his mid-70s. Smash drunk. A shot glass in one eye. The other eye's going out that way. And he's full-on airborne, having jumped off a chair in the middle of his, you know, f- frenzy of Hasidic dancing. And there's, a, there's a, I have a shot of that somewhere. I've just never been able to find it. It's probably in my attic somewhere. Half hour later, we've all, like, cleared our pockets of stuff because Shabbos can't have electronics, can't have anything, you know. We all cleared our pockets and we went down the western wall for Shabbos Dabbing, except no one can stand. So we're all there praying with him, he leads the minion. Everyone's holding each other up, literally. Like, I could only pray based on the guy next to me, based on the guy next to me. The whole entire Kotel, arm in arm praying, trying to hold each other up for Kabbalah Shabbat. Now, um, why am I telling you all these stories? Oh, for the women. Is, is you just got to surrender to it, and uh, and also, also, 
Drink a little wine. Drink a little wine. You know, the name of the game is wine. If you, if you normally wouldn't drink wine, so drink a little wine. If you normally have a glass, have two. If you'd have two, have three. But drink a little wine. Don't, don't get drunk. Don't be drunk in such a way that, because there's a lot of drunk men around and they're dangerous. You know, drunk men are generally dangerous. I'll never forget the first, this will be my last story, the first Purim ever. I get invited to the man who's teaching me the 613. Like we, the rabbi who taught me the 613 mitzvahs. His name was Rabbi Arian Lipniven. Um, we'll end with this, ready? So this rabbi who taught the 613 mitzvahs invited us all to his house in Beitar for Purim. And so here we are at his house. We've all, we're brand new. We're like wet paint new Balichula. <laughs> You know, like, we don't, we're like, you know, brand new. Like, we don't know a lot of the laws and stuff. Hardly anything. And we're partying. This guy got so drunk that he passed, the rabbi passed out. And we want more wine, except his wife's not freaking out. Because she's got, like, 15 drunk guys, all of who were secular, like, an hour ago. You know, we've been observant for, like, a minute, you know. And now she's got 15 drunk men. She doesn't know if she can trust any of these guys. And can you trust a man on that level of alcohol anyway? And so what did she do? She gets her next-door neighbor from across the hall of her building to come and guard the fruit. We're done with our wine. We send in an emissary to get more wine. The emissary comes back to the table and says, there's two Rebitsons, two rabbis' wives, blocking the fridge. At which point, all 15 of us go into the kitchen. And we say to this lady, we say to her, this lady, we all learned the laws of men and women not touching each other within the last couple of weeks. We're all drunk. We may remove you from the premises. <laughs> None of us are bashful about removing you from this house right now. Get out from in front of the fridge. <laughs> the, the, the women just went like, ah, and ran and never came back. She ran to her neighbor's house. And we had all the wine we needed, and we kept partying. But here's the funniest part of that whole story. I just married my daughter off to her son, which is really strange, but she's my, they're my in-laws now. And they, uh, they had a lot of kids, obviously. If I was fresh and they already had kids, but you know, they had a bunch of kids. And so one of the younger kids is now my daughter's husband. Happy Perm, everybody. Happy Perm. Hope you enjoy it. probably going to need... Oh, uh, those who watch... Oh, please give money for... Uh, everyone give a little money for that. Um, those who watch this... Not yet. Those who watch this, please uh, click all the appropriate things. Subscribe, share. Hey, and by the way, if, if you're watching this in Torney time, you know somebody who should be listening to this. So now is when you share it, not later. Now. Just click it and share it. Subscribe, everybody, and obviously join the uh, YomTovMediaClub.com. YomTovMediaClub. Push yeah. form some app. Everyone stay safe. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.